The leaves are bursting from their buds. Early season flowers are starting to bloom. And in the minds of some Canadians, it's time for a spring election. Will we see one? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Now, Canada remains in the grip of the third wave of this pandemic as case numbers rise and lockdowns become the norm. We haven't been to the polls as a nation since 2019 when the Liberals scored a minority government. Since then, the pandemic has swamped our consciousness. Now, there are rumblings across the country about a possible spring election. We will see a federal budget on April 19th, which will be a confidence vote. Now, the grits have been propped up by the NDP, so it will be interesting to see which side of the budget they land. Now, recent polls have put the Liberals as much as seven points ahead of the Conservatives if an election was called. Now, some might see an election call as opportunistic with those numbers. Our unpublished.vote question asked, do you want a federal election this spring? Now, just over one third, 34.5% said yes, 60% said no, uh, under 4% maybe, and less than 2% unsure. Now, however you're watching or listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote, and then email your MP to tell them why. Now, joining us to discuss the possibility of a spring election is Stephanie Plant from the Center for Security, Intelligence, and Defense Studies at Carleton University. Carl Narenberg is the Parliament Hill reporter for Rabble. And Tom Parkin is a columnist and commentator based in Toronto. And uh, we'll just uh, look at those numbers first off. Of course, it is uh, it's not a scientific poll or survey, but it basically is a reflection of the views of our viewers and listeners. And Stephanie, just over one third say they want a federal election this spring. Are you surprised it's that low or that high? I'm not surprised at all. Typical when we have minority governments and they pull people as to when they want an election, people generally just don't want an election. Um, I think people like democracy. Uh, sometimes the wheels of democracy can be very expensive, laborious. Um, and, you know, again, we are, you said it at the outset, you know, we are in the third wave. I think people's priorities are just trying to stay alive and trying to cope and manage. And the idea of going to the polls is just not at the forefront of their minds right now. What, Carl, you feel the same way? 60% don't want to go to the polls? I think the people are wiser than the politicians. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, no I kidding. Think, I think the, the pressure for election comes from a political party usually in power with a minority that thinks it has an opportunity to win the majority, not always. Uh, sometimes in minority government situations, the opposition has triggered uh, an election. But uh, in this particular situation, where we are now, that seems to be where the pressure is coming quietly in the background. But I think Canadians actually are more mature, wiser, and have a stronger sense of true democracy than our politicians. I don't think the Canadians, when they go to vote for parliament, believe that, the, that our parliament is really a kind of odd version of the American Electoral College, whose purpose is only to choose a winner. We're choosing a parliament. There are, I think, uh, 338 members of parliament. We recognize we're each rep electing a member of parliament. They together will deliberate and pass legislation and allow a government to function. The purpose of the member of parliament is not to be like the member of the American Electoral College to go once and meet once and choose the all-powerful all prime minister and then disappear and do nothing. Their purpose is to have a job, is to legislate. And the members of parliament together 
can 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 govern and we can have a government and it's not necessary to have one party that is all powerful but can politicians don't understand that in in our ally an ally i was just had a uh, lunch with uh, 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 drinks with my friend, the German ambassador, the other day. They have a very, very stable democracy, very well functioning, very effective democracy. They never have a majority government ever. They never their system doesn't ever produce majority produces stable coalition governments that last a long time that work together mm-hmm. and that achieve uh, good things for their people. Why do we think it is abnormal in Canada? Our system actually tends to produce majority governments in many countries, but not in our country. Because of our funny politics, since the 1960s, we have had many, many, many minority government. We are almost as likely to have a minority as a majority in a given election because of our multi-party system and regionalized politics. It's quite likely, why don't we get used to it, live with the consequences of our democratic choices and say, if we have a minority government, that's not an inherently unstable, inherently waiting to evolve into a mature majority government that's a real government that can last for as long as any government. There's no reason to have an election. You say, oh, we haven't had an election since, since 2019. That's 18 months ago. Like, it was not even oh, two years ago. What's the hurry? What's the need to have an election? Why can't the members of parliament compromise and collaborate and figure out a helpful legislation for the Canadian people as they do in so many countries? So it's, it's not really, the, the people who, who you talk to, recognize that they're mature it's the politicians who are babies and can't seem to understand that the people would just like them to govern and not constantly uh, strategize towards the next election what do you think tom is it uh <laughs> do do canadians want an election do we need an election we don't need an election uh you know carl's right we had an election it was only 2019 fall of 2019 so there's no need for it if politicians wanted to get together and cooperate in Parliament and uh, on a legislative agenda, they could do that. Um, so, but I think there's a couple things that are going on. Um, you know, yeah, an election may not be in the interest of Canadians, but it can be in the interest of political parties. And this is, there's a tension there. Uh, and so um, it's a little bit untowards for parties to be too overt in the way they talk about it. So there's a lot of gaming going on in, in stuff. I don't know where the liberals are at on this one. I think there's probably a couple of, at least a couple of views um, within the central circles of uh, the PMO on this. One is, good God, what are you talking about? Are you mad about uh, having an election at this time? Uh, That's one view. That's probably the the view that I would share. But I think there's another one that says, uh, well, you know, we're, we're, we're not likely to get a, minor, a majority. We could, it, you know, if things go well. But look at the Conservatives. Oh, this is a historic opportunity to punish them, uh, send their leadership into, you know, a tizzy, um, possibly into, uh, you know, exile, and, and, and Mr. O'Toole becomes the former leader, and the Conservatives just, you know, c- completely fragment, destroy themselves. I mean, I think that's the counter view. So... You know, in, in considering these two arguments, I, I think uh, the opportunistic one will lose out because uh, Canadians are just going to say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, this right. is not fine. Uh, Stephanie, you know, we, we talked at the beginning about this. We're in the third wave here uh, in Ontario and most of Canada right now. Can you have a federal election in the middle of the third wave of a pandemic? 
Um, well, uh, excellent question. Uh, this is where I put my election administrator hat on and we can mm. nerd out for a couple minutes if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so we've had, since the pandemic started, we've had 63 federal, state, or plebiscite type referendum elections all over the world in many advanced democracies such as Japan, the UK, Germany, which we mentioned earlier, Taiwan, South Korea, et cetera. Um, and when we talk about sort of the dynamics around those elections, the one thing that happens again and again and again is that pandemic elections are very good for incumbents. Um, people don't necessarily want massive amounts of change when there's already a lot of uncertainty in the air. We saw this when Stephen Harper, when he called an election around 2008, when there was a big economic crisis in the U.S., um, you know, politicians want to capitalize on that. And that's what, cap that's what politicians do. They want to maximize their chances of getting elected. Now, that being said, there's a lot of logistical hurdles, practical mm -hmm. hurdles when you are organizing an election during a pandemic. And they are extremely expensive. You have to hire twice the amount of people. You can't rent your normal polling stations because they're not open to the public. So, you know, we've had two federal by-elections, Toronto Centre and another one in the Toronto area um, since 2019. And, you know, they've had to get really creative. They had polling stations um, in movie theaters and they had polling stations in uh, car dealerships, right? So, um, and those are not cheap places to rent. So we kind of have to think about that as well as Canadians, but, um, you know, I I think, you know, Juste Trudeau is a great campaigner. Like if we think about 2019, he pulled the rabbit out of the hat. There was a huge scandal with him in blackface mm. and he somehow pulled through. And everybody was kind of in awe of that. Like, I think a normal politician that would have tanked them. And he came out mm. doing very well. So he's a great campaigner. I believe he's probably read the tea leaves on elections around the world and has people advising him accordingly. Um, and, you know, if we really want to get into the weeds, we've had three provincial elections since the pandemic started. We have one in Newfoundland right now, BC and Saskatchewan. So we can also call on them to see how they've managed their elections. And again, those have all reelected the incumbents. So, right. uh, you know, he's he's doing what politicians do, which is maximize opportunity. Um, and I just wanted to point out too, because I took a couple notes while you guys were talking. Sure. Um, 18 months is completely normal, by the way, for a minority government in Canada. That's actually about approximately uh, the amount of time a minority government will last. If we look at Stephen Harper, um, if we look at Jean Chrétien when um, Paul Martin got his minority government, that's typically about how long they last. So while we may not want to go to the polls, kind of the, the timing is historically, this is when we've gone. Yeah. Uh, Carl, you know, we, we, we don't have terrific turnout right now for, for elections. And, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, an election and a pandemic is going to make it even worse. What do you think? Well, I think that, I mean, Newfoundland had a really bad uh, turnout, but I mean, things went really bad for them in, in Newfoundland for, uh, for a whole number of reasons. And um, uh, the, um, the, 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 the increased uh, jeopardy of the pandemic could could create a problem. In Newfoundland, a big problem they had was people in remote areas not being able to vote remotely, not being able to vote by mail, not having access to it, and they just did it anyway. They sort of said, well, you're up there in Labrador, who really cares about your vote? It seemed to be kind of a callous and odd, uh, mm -hmm. odd attitude towards those voters, and there may be court cases uh, surrounding that. But, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I want to go to the Stephanie's point that... Um, well, you know, there's a historic precedent. 18 months is kind of of the lifespan of an average minority government. Not, 
uh, not one of Harper's governments lasting quite a bit longer, in fact. But uh, I mean, my the point that I'm trying to make is that we should think outside the box as as as, poli- as a political class, not just the people. The reason minority governments have tended not to last. One of them is the psychological attitude on the part of politicians, which is different from politicians in countries that never produce majorities, which is they don't go in there thinking, how are we going to compromise and work together and get legislation done and have a stable government, even though one party doesn't control everything? Because in our country, we still have this odd belief that it is normal that one party controls everything and it's kind of, oh, it's kind of a mistake. It's kind of a kind of an incomplete government, an incomplete election when we don't get a, a final result. We sort of think of like sports. It's sort of like we're, mm. well, we're still, we haven't ever crowned a champion. Stephen Harper, oddly, his, his minority was the longest lasting in Canadian history, one of them. And yet he's the one who really portrayed things that way when the other parties said, we're going to get together and form a coalition. We represent the majority of members and the majority of voters. So we just, even though one of us is not the biggest party, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, in many countries, all, that often happens where a series of smaller parties get together. But he sort of said, that's the losers taking taking victory from the winners. So you get 39% of the vote and not half the seats. You're not the winner. You won what you won. Yeah. You don't, it's not a hockey game. It's not like one, one team always wins. You know, or it's a hockey game that doesn't have overtime, but where you actually have a tie. And I just think we should think outside the box and think that we can have collaborative and cooperative government. And I think the people want that. Uh, among liberals, I know, by the way, there, there, nobody doesn't want an election. The only debate is whether it should be in the spring or October. I mean, there's no, they, they absolutely believe that the, that the pandemic actually presents an opportunity. They want the election while the pandemic is still sort of still there. They don't want the pandemic in the past tense. They don't want to see it in the rearview mirror or they want to see it pretty close in the rearview mirror. They don't want it to be too far away. They think this is an, or a great opportunity. The conservatives are weak. People will rally around the leader almost inevitably in a time of crisis. They understand that. And they're really, really anxious to have the election. The only thing that'll stop them is that it's they worry that it'll be complicated and difficult mm-hmm. when the pandemic is raging so badly. They were hoping that by June, it would be kind of calmed down. And now, I mean, the purpose of having the budget so late in April is designed to be a spring court for, for, for an election. Their whole plan is to have an election. Then they're still hoping to do it. But I think the only thing that's giving them pause is that the bad experience in Newfoundland, I mean, Newfoundland, they succeeded, but it was a black eye election. I mean, the whole thing went, okay. went, went to belly up. So it was really not a great example. So that is what really, I mean, the, the British Columbia experience, they love. They, they, they think that worked great for Oregon. He went from minority uh, to an overwhelming majority despite criticism. And, and, and despite the fact that the majority of people didn't want the election, Oregon still won the majority. They don't punish a party for holding an election. The people may say we don't want an election, but that itself never becomes an election issue. But I just think it's immature, childish, irresponsible, and stupid. I just wish the politicians would get over their narrow self-interest with the party in power and say, let's provide good government for Canadians for three, three and a half years in a minority situation, in a collaborative parliament situation. I'm very sorry they didn't think it in the original instance of forming a, a, a coalition government when they this government was elected with a minority of the popular vote. That's fairly rare that we have a minority government that doesn't have the greatest popular vote. But they were quite behind the Conservatives in popular vote. And Trudeau said, oh, well, I have the popular support because the green votes and NDP votes are kind of for me. But the logical conclusion of that is 
invite them in your government in that case. If you're saying their votes are sort of for your program, then bring them in, bring them around the cabinet table. We would have avoided the wee scandal had they had opposition members sitting around the cabinet table. Anyway, I'm carrying on mm. too much. Oh, no, no, no problem. Now, Tom, uh, we'll narrow it down here. And I, I'm thinking about a spring election. I'm wondering what the impact of a spring election might be on the Bloc Québécois in Quebec. They were a bit of a surprise in the last election. Uh, to me, um, it, yeah, I think that's a is an interesting because the, the bloc has um, played a very unusual role in the last uh, number of months. Many times, propping up the the, the liberals at committee, bailing them out uh, when they wanted to avoid when the liberals wanted to avoid having people testify or shutting down committees um, with the assistance of bloc votes, which were necessary. So they played a funny role, and uh, they seem to be. Uh, not having a huge impact in Quebec. They've, they've dropped a little bit in the polls, but but they've got this tremendously um, popular leader. And I'm not talking about the leader of the BQ, I'm talking about the leader of the CAQ, who is, you know, Mr. Legault, who is this premier that they just kind of uh, creates this cultural space that they occupy. Um, and I don't think that space goes away. So um, I'm not sure there's going to, I, I don't think there's going to be a tremendous amount of movement because um, people see, people in Quebec seem to see uh, Legault, they're favorable about Legault, even though, you know, I, I, I can't, personally can't understand it given, given the outcomes of the pandemic mm -hmm. in Quebec. But nonetheless, I mean, he has a completely fractured opposition. Maybe that's part of it. Nonetheless, he is the guy and they are going to stick close to him as possible. And so we're going to see, um, we're going to see, and we've seen a little bit of this, Trudeau trying to cozy up to Legault too. So, you know, if they can ship him away, maybe something moves. But I, I don't I don't think that Legault's going to do that. I think he's going to uh, stick with the BQ, and you're not going to see a, one shred of light between uh, the, the CAQ and the uh, BQ in the next, in the next months. Uh, Stephanie, when, when we look at the numbers and the, you know, a lot, number of polls the last week of the Conservatives about seven points back at the Liberals right now, can they get the ship righted? And if so, how? Oh, that's a, that's an excellent question. There's people paid a lot more money than me eh, to advise them. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is, you know, that is kind of uh, the million dollar question. I think what's holding the prime ministers back, and I'd be curious to know what everyone else think is sort of the vaccine bungle like you know he's definitely not joe biden on this vaccine rollout um and that's kind of what's holding everyone back and and it, what's weird to me is that o'toole he doesn't seem to capitalize on it he yeah he's sort of hammering away at it if you follow him close closely on social media but you know my parents who don't live in Ottawa, you know i live in ottawa so we kind of bathe in this stuff all the time but yeah. my parents who don't they don't even know who the leader of the conservative party is right and they they are news followers so um, I, I don't know. I don't know why he's not tractioning with Canadians. I can tell you that, um, you know, him siding with Legault on the face covering issue could play out very well in Quebec. Uh, but Tom is absolutely correct that that space is being occupied by the CAC and by the PQ. Um, they are cozy, cozy, buddy, buddy. They're fundraising for each other. Their candidates are appearing at each other's events. And uh, there's love in the air for those two parties. That is for sure. Now, uh, Carl, in terms of the conservative, we mentioned uh, you know them being about seven points back right now, but a lot of conservative supporters are itching for an election. Uh, do you see the conservatives trying to force an election because their supporters want one? Uh, 
I don't think so. I don't think the conservatives, I don't think uh, Aaron O'Toole would like an election. I mean, I think he mm. thinks that for him, from his point of view, time is, time is on his side. That, I mean, very often in Canada, we don't elect governments, we defeat governments. I mean, I, mm. and my theory is that Stephen Harper never really had a bon code d'amour with, with Canadians. He was never very, very well loved. Uh, by Canadians, but he he was the default choice when Canadians got sick and tired of having uh, one party rule. They've been part power for something like thirteen years. They had too many scandals. They just wanted something else, and they kind of talked themselves into Stephen Harper. And I think O'Toole would probably see his best bet to be uh, the la solution de rechange, we say in French. You know, the that he's the only other option at some point, and uh, and but not yet. <laughs> Certainly not at this point. I think either way, I think O'Toole actually, I mean, that's not why I support this idea, but O'Toole would be the best served if this government will last as long as possible. Uh, and then people would ultimately get a little tired of them. And maybe we would pass a point where we're in any kind of national or international crisis where we're, times are more normal. And that would be his his best chance. Look, the Conservatives, we're even making doing some kind of funny um, uh, advertising about O'Toole, but his, his name was what was it? They had him mistaken for somebody else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, they, right, too. So they were they were like playing on the idea that he's an obscure figure. I mean, way back in the Obama era, the Republicans tried to attack Obama for being too famous. Honestly, I think when you have to resort to that, that's pretty desperate. You have to say, our other your other candidate is too well-loved and too famous? Okay, that should be your biggest problem. Yeah. Okay, so are, are you, you know, honestly, I think they would have a better chance if they run against a tired, corrupt, been in power too long, liberal government, made too many mistakes, screwed too many things up. Aren't we sick of him? Eventually, Trudeau's father, who was quite charismatic and well-loved, and I'm old enough to remember him, eventually, yeah, people got tired of him. Uh, as yeah. well. But Trudeau may be a good campaigner and a sort of attractive figure, but he's not perfect. And a lot of people don't like him. And, and over time, more and more people will get tired of him. The government will have more and more scars and wounds. But, I mean, I'm, the liberals... I, I don't think there's any chance that we're not going to have an election uh, sometime in this in, in 2021. It's only a question of spring or fall. I think uh, they're not going to uh, liberals aren't going to let that happen. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. that's from a, from a higher moral and ethical point of view. That's irresponsible and too bad and the wrong attitude to take. But they're not. Believe me, they're not consulting me. Okay. I can assure you about that. <laughs> Maybe they should. Now, Tom, uh, the NDP has been uh, supporting the Liberals at this point. Um, I'm wondering, uh, do you expect them to support the budget to avoid an election? Yeah, Singh has already said that he's going to be uh, voting in confidence of the government because it's not the time for an election. In fact, Aaron O'Toole has said the same thing. He certainly played it a lot less publicly because his own base uh, – I, I don't know. Uh, they think that if there's an election, that's a great thing for conservatives. I maybe they haven't seen the polls uh, and they don't read the newspapers. Uh, but you know, it seems like the conservative base is just so amped up on this idea that you know we got to get rid of this terrible uh, this Justin Trudeau guy and it's just kind of this loathing idea um, that he's got to kind of play it very cool. Well, you know, hmm. Singh doesn't have that problem. Uh, Singh has his criticisms of the Liberal uh, Party. Uh, he has made his contribution, I think, as well. And I think mm-hmm. important to note. And I think this is another distinction with, with O'Toole. You know, when at the very beginning of the crisis a year ago, the plan was uh, EI for people losing their jobs. And then, of course, you know, this is the gig economy. This is people uh, running small businesses. This is all kinds of people, you know, working in 
you know, the nail salon or the hairdresser or all kinds of businesses that are just, you know, I'm, I'm the, you know, owner and the worker. Uh, there's no EI for me. Uh, and yeah. so, um, you know, that, that Singh's contribution was, we need something for these folks. Singh's contribution was, you know, around uh, ensuring that there was a wage support program, et cetera. So there's a lot of positivity there. And I think as long as there's uh, enough receptivity from the liberals, there's often, you know, it's just enough, uh, Singh can continue to play along, which I think is good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think a tool has a bit of a problem in that he doesn't really have an agenda. He hasn't really shown an agenda other than opposing the government of the day. Um, what would he do about, you know, he makes noises about the amount of debt we've taken on. Okay. What are you going to do about that? Is, are you saying that you're going to inflict austerity? Um, I don't think anybody's in for that. So what are you saying when you make an issue of this? So what is the conservative agenda? What would this election be about if it was to happen? Um, I think that's really problematic for the conservatives. You know, and uh, Stephanie, there's been some chatter about an NDP green merger or coalition. Uh, do you see that as a possibility going into this, whatever the next election might be? Um, I think it's absolutely a financial possibility um, because, you know, fundraising is key and both parties are not doing that well. I don't know if you saw the fundraising numbers, but uh, Emery Paul is just, you know, she's new. A lot of people don't know who she is. She didn't win her Toronto Centre seat. So um, I think they're having a bit of issue on that site. But um, as you know, in both parties, you have people who feel very strongly about either issues of the environment or issues of social justice. And oftentimes those can kind of butt heads. It's not like the Democratic Party, which is a very big tent left party. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we talked a bit earlier about Germany and the various factions coalition. We just don't really have that in Canada. We don't have the American example, but we don't have the German example either. We kind of just have these four parties and they've been a constant for so long. Um, but uh, I just very quickly wanted to go back to what we were discussing earlier. And I just wanted to add as well, like Francois Legault being like the charmer of this entire pandemic. And, you know, he's Justin Trudeau is cozying up to him on the campus free speech issue. And Doug Ford is cozying up to him. And then Jason Kenney being kind of the bait noir of this whole, like I never had that <laughs> bingo sheet, right? Like I always thought Jason Kenney would kind of soar as premier of Alberta and it's just kind of a sinking ship. And that was definitely but, not a bingo card. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, Carl, did you want to say something? Uh, I, I think so. my computer made a little noise and it wasn't me, but I, will, I would say this okay. from the point of view of the NDP, that one good thing for the NDP, I don't think the NDP wants to precipitate an election uh, because they don't see particular gain for them politically. And also they have the luxury, since they're not necessarily that close to aspiring for, for power, to take a sort of more high-minded approach of what's better for the country. But in, what, in fact, conservative weakness is good for the NDP for two reasons. One. Uh, conservative, conservative weakness and the weakness, I think, is engendered by the fact that their leader portrayed himself as being a hardcore conservative uh, to get elected to the to leadership of the party against Peter McKay, who definitely was seen as an old style progressive conservative. It came from, a, you know, his father was in Mulroney's cabinet. He came from that part of the co original conservative party coalition. And uh, but he's he portrayed himself as one thing. And now the minute he gets shown chosen leader says, well, I'm a pro-choice conservative and I don't want none of this nonsense. I believe in climate change, even though the party 
votes against it. So the party's pulling in different directions. So he's a he is a non-threatening figure to people who are kind of the NDP liberal switcher and the people who vote very often out of fear rather than hope. I mean, there's a lot of people in Canada, you know, especially after the Harper experience, who would vote and say, we just don't want to have the monster. We just don't want to have a hard right, crazy government that is opposed to climate change, that is really uh, ideologically of the right. We just would rather have a kind of fumble, bumble, middle of the road, usual Canadian government. If the Conservatives look more like that, if they look, look more like the Conservatives of your grandfather's day or of my day, who and I could be your grandfather, of... Uh, you know, of, of, of going back to the John Diefenbakers and Joe Clark days, which O'Toole is sort of looking like. And on top of that, don't look that popular or able to win an election. Those switcher voters, especially in places like British Columbia, would be saying, OK, I'll vote by heart. I'll vote for the party that's a little closer to my heart rather than voting liberal out of necessity or for strategic reasons. So that could be a little bit helpful to the NDP. But I think they're definitely from a money point of view. Uh, I mean, for the NDP and Greens to merge uh, would make a lot of sense because enemy Paul is basically coming in saying, I'm going to emphasize myself being a social democratic Green rather than an environmental Green. I mean, the Greens used to appeal, I knew conservative Green switchers. The Greens used to appeal to people who thought the NDP was all a bunch of trade union, Birkenstock, socialist, mm -hmm. uh, read Karl yeah. Marx for bedtime literature. And they just didn't, they just felt culturally separate from them. And the Greens, they thought, oh, they believe in business, entrepreneurship, uh, the market forces, but the environment, so we can sort of wed that. Enemy Paul is moving it towards, no, no, the Greens are like the European Greens, we're a kind of socialistic, social democratic party believing in heavy government intervention in social welfare programs and the environment. So given that, it's really hard to find daylight between the Greens and the NDP uh, in Canada. In Europe, between the Old line socialists and labor-based social democratic parties and greens. Yes, there is, there is. In fact, the, between the social democrats of say Germany and the Christian Democrats, they're far closer to each other than either of them are to the Greens. They have different kind of politics in Europe, but in Canada, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the liberals often say you don't really need an NDP. You got the liberals. We're the party of the center left. The NDP just imitates us. Well, the NDP sort of says the same thing about the Greens. Okay, like we're the third party. How many parties yeah. do we need here saying the same thing? But given that, there are institutional, cultural reasons why they wouldn't. I mean, the Greens, by the way, aren't, aren't very careful. I mean, they chose a candidate who won on Vancouver Island, uh, who the NDP thought was too anti-Israel. They wouldn't give him, they wouldn't let him, they wouldn't give him the nomination. He went for the mm -hmm. Green nomination, actually, if he beat the NDP in an NDP area. So they have all kinds of personal baggage. It's the same when Bob Ray ran for the the Liberal Party leadership. He was right. an attractive candidate, but people just wouldn't vote. He came from the other clan. Like, they just felt personally aggrieved mm -hmm. by them. They we'd said, he used to campaign against us. We can't have him as our leader. I mean, they didn't mm -hmm. go. They did, switching parties and parties become tribal uh, in our country, in any country, as much as they are ideological and practical uh, vessels. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, we'll go around the horn here. And uh, Stephanie, we'll start with you. Uh, when do you predict we will see an election in 2021? Ooh, well, um, my insight tell um, is telling me that they've been told, like Elections Canada has been told to ramp up for a sort of June, late May election. Um, but I, my political instincts are telling me the fall. Um, but of course, you know, this all depends <clears> on the vaccine rollout in the next couple of weeks, um, what the numbers are. But that's my prediction. 
So All I'm right. not paying money on it though. <laughs> okay. No, but no money involved here. Now, Tom, what do you think? I think when the, you- uh, the desire amongst liberals to, you know, uh, take the opportunity to take, take a big whack at Mr. O'Toole is going to ultimately, I, I, I looked at it the other way just a few weeks ago. I thought these guys were going to win the debate. I think they're going to lose. I think this third wave is just too devastating and uh, they're going to put it off to the fall and, you know, maybe around the fall economic statement or something of that sort. It still leaves a lot of issues about, you know, why, why, mm-hmm. why would they do this? And, um, but as we've covered before, you know, the interesting thing about um, her fall elections is that uh, I don't want to have an election is not on the ballot. So once the election is called, mm-hmm. the issue isn't, uh, geez, I didn't want this election. The issue is, you know, NDP, liberal, conservative, BQ. That's the, that's the issue. So, you know, you get into that, into that focus and now you have to make your decision. So the issue of why goes away mm-hmm. fairly quickly, but nonetheless, it, it, I think if you can play, if the opposition parties can look at it as uh, as a part of a theme about the liberals, about self-serving, about being self-serving. Uh, I think that's something that they can uh, use throughout the campaign. We saw we saw the Greens try and use that against Horgan in in, in BC. It really didn't last. It, they couldn't sustain it. Uh, it wasn't something that lasted until election day, not by a long shot. And right. and then there's the issue of, which we haven't addressed is what really would this thing even be about. Mm-hmm. What is it that Canadians yeah. want that is different, uh, and how 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 would that be? How would an election express that? Um, you know, we see a lot of emotion these days um, because of our uh, health situation right. and uh, the unfairness, uh, and there's a lot of raw feelings, and mm-hmm. that's a dangerous thing for any politician because it's fire. Um, yeah. So you don't know where it's going to spread to. So I think you know. There's a there's a there's a lot of thinking of the fall. I think probably yes. Mm-hmm. Um, liberals will right. make that make that decision. All right. Now, Carl, uh, what do you think? Is it going to be a spring election or a fall election? I know you don't want an election, but I don't know exactly. No. I, what I want, what I think is a responsible and and reasonable thing to do, and nothing to do with what I think will actually happen. I'm yeah. Sure. So the the um, I think we should look at the budget. I mean. Uh, the budget's coming out next week. Uh, the, the, the plan had been to delay it until April to, for it to be a springboard to an election, definitely. How are they going to play it now? I mean, the, I don't think they're going to rewrite the budget because the pandemic is, has not worked out the way they had planned it to. I don't think anybody was really anticipating this terrible uh, third wave that we're living through. It's much worse than we thought it was going to be. And the race, the vaccines are, are losing the race so far. Uh, I think there's still a very good chance that they're going to find, uh, see if they see some light in the pandemic, find a way to holding a June election. I know that um, Eric Grenier of, of CBC said, no, no more. The pandemic is too bad and, the, and the, the bad Newfoundland experience is going to scare them off. They're not going to do an election in the spring. One thing I'll say for sure is they're not going to wait beyond 2021. We'll absolutely have an election mm-hmm. in, in 2021 and the Liberals will just have to they'll find a way to do it. I mean, I guess their, their greatest hope would be that they would be defeated on the budget and then they would have a reason and a causa's belly and, and an actual uh, platform. But the budget is supposed to be 
their springboard to the election, their platform. It is supposed to be a long-term, far-seeing far budget that looks at major spending over multiple years. And, we, and their argument is, we need a mandate for this major new uh, thrust. Uh, the only thing, the only spanner in the works, to use an archaic expression, a spanner is a wrench, the British for wrench. Hmm. Um, so the only spanner in the works here is, um, is, the, is the pandemic isn't working out, that the, vac the whole vaccine rollout is not countering the pandemic as we thought it would. And that uh, like really the doctors, Dr. Vera Echis here in Ottawa, they're all shocked by, by what's happening, by the young people coming down, young people dying. So I still think there's, I still think they're hoping to do it. I still think they would like to do it like, you know, in the latter part of the June sometime uh, and, and think that by that time, uh, the situation will be much better. That's their preference except for the pandemic. But if, if necessary, I guess what they'll do is present a budget, hang around for a while and see how long they can delay the decision. Uh, and so they can see where the, where things are happening on the health front. If they can all, if they all see it as at all possible from a health point of view, their preference definitely would be the government's preference to have the election in June. But if not, no later than October. And if I can just right. add quickly, if I can just say go quickly. Ahead, one last yeah. point is that there are three scandals going on in Ottawa, and they're being they're moving through parliamentary committee. The Wee scandal is back on. This whole thing about um, sexual impropriety in the armed forces, which to me is you know wow, uh, mm. just an incredible story. And, and thirdly, and this one gets almost uh, no play, but it is a massive scandal in my mind. Is this whole thing about MindGeek, the owner operator of a Pornhub? Uh, having operated and allowed uh, uh, video of, of women to be uploaded that was never verified. Some of these women didn't want it uploaded. They were under, you know, under 16, all these kind of things. And this is a Canadian uh, uh, Canadian company. RCMP never looked into this. Um, you know, so now the committee is. So there's these three things that I think are not good, very obviously not good for the for the for the incumbents, uh, the government, and of course an election would cut them short. Um, and uh, the alternative is, of course, that there'll be a summer break. That's true, but these committees will come back in full form uh, once September comes around again. All right, uh, Tom, I want to thank our guests today on Unpublished TV, Stephanie Plant from the Center for Security, Intelligence and Defense Studies at Carleton University. Carl Narenberg is the Parliament Hill reporter with Rabble, and Tom Parkin is a columnist and commentator. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. <laughs>